Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a marvelous and mycological life. So today is a huge departure for this podcast because for the first time, we are exploring the virtues of eating something other than plants. Now, don't worry, I have not gone paleo or keto or carnivore, although one of my prior guests has. Um, not going to talk about that, though. I'm not into fish oil or organic beef liver or hummingbird tongue. Today, I want to explore an entire kingdom that we can consume that can boost our immune function, our mood, and possibly bring us uh, humans to some sanity. And that is, of course, the fungus kingdom. My guest, Jeff Shilton, has been into fungi for a long time. He first wrote about them in The Mushroom Cultivator, a practical guide to growing mushrooms at home, which he wrote with Paul Stamets, who's become fairly famous for his book, uh, Mycelium Running, and for Fungi Perfecti, his company that allows people to, enables them to grow mushrooms at home. And that book, The Mushroom Cultivator, they wrote together, has been in print since 1983, and you can go to Amazon today and get yourself a copy. And Jeff is also the founder of Namex.com, that's with two mms, and realmushrooms.com. And he has long um, advocated for and researched and explained and agitated for the use of mushrooms for medicinal purposes. And I learned a bunch of things about mushrooms that uh, I did not know, such as some of them are 20 to 40% protein. They contain a slow-acting carbohydrate, mannitol, and they are rich in an immune booster called beta-glucan that actually makes up their cell walls. So it's actually pretty important, it turns out, to get, if you're going to uh, consume mushrooms as a supplement, to make sure you're getting the mushroom and not just like mycelium strands um, grown on, on rice or some, some sort of carbohydrate substrate. But we get into that in detail in the podcast itself. And Jeff is well known in the mycological community as a stickler for purity and a skeptic of many of the formulations of medicinal mushroom that are now showing up all over the place, not just where they always have been in the health food you know, pill aisle, but also at checkout displays at Whole Foods, high-end coffee shops. You know, mushrooms are hot, and when something gets hot, then a lot of people want to jump into the market whether they know what they're doing or not or whether they are ethical or not. So in our conversation, Jeff and I cover the health benefits of mushrooms, uh, which ones to take for which 
things, the best ways to take advantage of these uh, wonderful healers, and what kinds of supplements to avoid. And as a bonus, we chat about psychedelics um, and what they might offer us in this critical time for human beings on the planet. Before we get there, a couple of announcements. First, uh, WellStart Health Coach Training starts again. Looks like it's going to be beginning of April. Um, I've been uh, sick for a while, so I haven't attended to everything. I haven't crossed all my I's and dotted all my T's. So it uh, looks like beginning of April. So there's still time if you would like to apply to become a wicked effective health coach to help people actually transform and not just kind of go around in circles chasing behaviors that they can't understand why they can't get traction on. Uh, go to wellstartcoach.com to read more, put your email in at the top, and we'll let you know when we're ready to open the doors and take applications. Second thing, Sick to Fit is now available as an audiobook on audible.com and on the iTunes store. And you get to hear Josh. It's mostly Josh. It's, it's me also. Uh, so you get to hear us say our own words. There's also a bonus chapter um, on just reflecting on after we had been reading this book over and over again for the better part of two days, just, you know, how the book hit us, what we realized about our message and how we think people should listen to or read the book and how to implement it in their own lives. So you can get it at Audible or iTunes and take us with you on your run, take us with you on your, your rides. And of course, the Kindle version is available for absolutely free. If you're in the United States and a bunch of other countries, just go to sick2.fit slash book and you can pick it up uh, on Amazon. Finally, 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 thanks to all you well-wishers who heard that I was sick and uh, sent me blessings and uh, prayers and nice words. I believe I am on the mend. I went for a two-mile walk today, did a two-mile walk yesterday, and I'm getting closer and closer to having the ability to lay down horizontally without coughing up a lung. So hopefully uh, by next week, I will be hunky-dory. All right, let's get into some mycology. Without further ado, Jeff Chilton, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Howard. I'm really excited to be here. This is um, an anomalous conversation because almost everybody I talk to has something to say about plants. And strictly speaking, you are not a plant guy, right? <laughs> you're, you're talking about an entirely no, I... different kingdom. <laughs> That's right. I, I I know very little about plants other than I eat them and I live with them. <laughs> so so all, all all that mystery is to say that you you are an expert on on mushrooms, on which is from a a, a completely different family. So let's let, tell us a little bit about uh, just a teaser as to why we're talking about mushrooms today. Why people should not uh, you know switch over to something else. Why mushrooms are are relevant in our lives. Well. You know, mushrooms actually have their own kingdom. So they sit between plants and uh, animals, and they've been around for a long, long time. And they've had a long history of use with humans, whether as food or as medicine or as uh, something used in uh, shamanism. So mushrooms have been with us, and we've had this very deep relationship with mushrooms. On, on the food level, it's interesting because I, I sort of consider them as one of the very first 
nutraceuticals, which is um, something where I sort of like food as medicine. So that's kind of how I think of them. I think of them as a food that is wonderful for us as, as humans and, and not just as a nutrient, but also as medicine. Cool. So I hope we can get into all the all or most of the different ways in which uh, mushrooms uh, serve us and serve serve life on the planet more broadly. But uh, first, I want to kind of get get a little bit of your CV. How did, how did you become interested in mushrooms in the first place? Well, I'm I'm born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. And this is a area that's very, very green. In fact, Washington State, where I was born, is called the uh, Evergreen State. And one of the reasons is that it rains here. So <laughs> in the fall, when the fall comes, it is, and winter, but in the fall, it's raining. And uh, but a temperate climate. It's a temperate coastal climate along the coast in Washington. And and there's mushrooms growing. They come up everywhere. So everywhere you look, you've got mushrooms. I was fortunate when I was younger that I was able to go out on mushroom hunts. And, you know, hunting mushrooms, Howard, is like going on a treasure hunt. You get to walk out in the woods and, you know, have a great time in the woods. And then maybe you're going to find a mushroom. And it's like, wow, I just found this amazing mushroom. It's it's like treasure. So, uh, I, I had that sort of relationship early, and then when I went to university, I decided that I wanted to study mycology, which is uh, the study of uh, mushrooms and fungi, but my major was actually anthropology. So, so I was studying the use of mushrooms in cultures worldwide, and, and look, I went to university in the 60s, Howard, so, so I was quite interested in shamanism and the use of mushrooms in shamanism and religious practices and so forth. So uh, I definitely have that as part of my background. But, but then, then when I graduated from university in, in the early 70s, how do you get a job in anthropology? Well, you don't. So, so <laughs> you, 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 write, you write a book about uh, Don Juan... And you, yes. and you don't provide any any sources. So that, that's people right. have to believe whatever you say. Yeah. So so I actually went down the road from Seattle, where I was living, to Olympia, Washington, to the only mushroom farm in Washington state. And I got a job there. And for the next 10 years, I worked as a commercial mushroom grower on a very, very large farm and we were growing two million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year and, and those i are literally the, like the white button mushrooms white button mushrooms that's right so that and that must have been i mean i'm imagining like soul sucking after studying you know the shamanic use of mushrooms for you know for individuation and communal healing to be to be producing the equivalent of like wonder bread mushrooms was that was that not hard <laughs> Well, you know what? I don't really look at it that way because because the fact of the matter is 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 I think agaricus is is a excellent edible mushroom and and a lot of people will look at them as as kind of the white bread of mushrooms, but I personally think they have a great flavor and and in terms of an edible mushroom, I think they're they're a good source of food. But but here's the cool thing, Howard, is is when I was there, we had a Japanese scientist on staff 
who was uh, researching shiitake, uh, oyster mushroom, and enokitake mushrooms. So we were growing those mushrooms on this farm in the 1970s. And, and in fact, in 1978, this company introduced fresh shiitake mushrooms to the market. 1978, that was really the first commercial shiitake mushrooms that went out into the supermarkets. And, and here's the funny thing. They, they bombed. People did not like them. They, they complained that these shiitake were too strong. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I think the flavor of shiitake is fantastic. I love shiitake. Huh. Wow. So you were you were growing millions and millions. So I guess agaricus is one of is one of the few types of mushrooms that you can grow, um, you know, in, in a in a commercially viable way, cheaply enough in that kind of quantity. Because you know, obviously, you're going out into the woods. I don't know if you were, you know, what what you were looking for. You know, with, you know, lion's mane or oyster or 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 some of these uh, you know boutique mushrooms. But obviously, if if they're so amazing and delicious, if people could could grow them commercially, they would have, right? Well, you know what the fact is is that that um, those mushrooms, like uh, lion's mane, oyster mushroom, maitake mushroom, shiitake mushroom, are grown commercially in the United States. Now, you probably have to live in an area near a large city because that's where the markets are for these smaller mushroom growers. They're, they're not grown in the same quantities as agaricus is, but, but yeah, they are grown. They, they are somewhat more expensive, but uh, yeah, mushrooms, those mushrooms as uh, uh, food products in, in the U S they're there on the fresh markets. If you happen to be in the right locale so so and i tell people man if you can if you've got those mushrooms in your area buy them they're they're fantastic all right so so for someone who like okay they taste good i, I enjoy you know sauteed button mushrooms or shiitake or whatever in my stews and soups and things what are the what are the unique benefits that you get from mushrooms that you don't get from you know broccoli and potatoes and cabbage and other other vegetables well you know what um when i was when i was growing mushrooms in the 70s the uh classical nutritionists in the united states claimed that mushrooms were a non-food they basically claimed oh well they're, they're flavorful they might be used as a garnish or something but they, they said there was no benefits nutritionally to mushrooms. And, and the reason they said this, which was really interesting, is that mushrooms are very low calorie. Huh. Without calories, it was like, sorry, this is not a, a food. The fact of the matter is, is mushrooms have a very, very positive nutritional profile. And, and, and first, every mushroom is, is unique. So it's, it's like saying... A fruit, all fruits are the same. They're not. Um, so, so they're anywhere from twenty to forty percent protein, high quality protein. They've got. Uh, um, they're mostly made up of carbohydrates, and those carbohydrates are are carbohydrates that are slow acting, like uh, mannitol is one of the major carbohydrates in mushrooms. And and the other thing about mushrooms is they're they're very high in 
fiber. So, so those mushrooms will not only um, feed us nutrient-wise, and they're also good in uh, B vitamins, B, uh, riboflavin, thiamine, and niacin. In fact, the amount of niacin in a mushroom is anywhere from, uh, is up to 50% of your, your daily uh, requirement. So uh, high in potassium and phosphorus, they're, they're really a good food. And not only that, here's what's, what's the most beneficial part about mushrooms is that the cell walls are made up of compounds called beta-glucans. And beta-glucans are that component of mushrooms that have immunological properties. So when we talk about medicinal mushrooms, what we're really talking about is these beta-glucans and the mushrooms that are the highest in medicinal uh, qualities are mushrooms that have very specific types of beta-glucans that activate our immune cells. So there are nutritional and medicinal benefits to eating mushrooms. And, and that's the first thing I tell people. Before you supplement with mushrooms or anything like that, put mushrooms into your diet. They're a great food. Mm, great. So, um, so let's talk about med medicinal uses of mushrooms. Um, so one of one of the books that I've read, and I, I know you're uh, you've worked with Paul Stamets. Right. Yes, um, I did. Yeah. So we we uh, we co-authored a book that we published in 1983 called The Mushroom Cultivator. Hmm. So his you know, his book, Mycelium Running. Kind yeah. Of, um, kind of turns mushrooms into this sort of uh, superhero. Um, ba you know, basically like like an, an intelligent consciousness, um, you know, like in the Internet of, of the physical world. And and one, you know, one of the things that I have I have read about in uh, in sort of shamanic minded herbalists is like the the the, the living organisms, organisms on the earth are trying very hard to help humanity survive and thrive, even even in the face of our own willful ignorance and stupidity. And so I'm wondering if, if you find, are there sort of mushrooms that offer us these medicines, particularly for the sorts of things that seem to be ailing us now in the 21st century? Well, well, yes, I, I, I certainly uh, believe that. And let me say a few things about those, that idea that has been presented about, you know, mycelium as the internet and all the rest. I don't view it that way at all because the way I view it is that we have multiple organisms out in nature, including us, and we're all working together. We're all part of an ecosystem. You, you can't isolate one of these things out there and say, oh, that that's the, um, the mushroom mycelium or the mycelium is the internet of the world. That, that is just not correct. The, the mycelium, in fact, fungal mycelium is super important because what it does, what, what mushrooms are, they're recyclers. That mycelium is out there recycling all of that organic matter that falls to earth every year. Uh, leaves, uh, branches of trees, any uh, old plants that are dying off. Mycelium is recycling that, but, but it's not doing that alone. It's doing that with bacteria. It's doing that with yeasts. It's doing that with 
uh, little bugs that are chewing everything up. It's one part of a big system that is turning all of that organic matter into humus and food to keep the whole cycle going. And, you know, in a way I look at it as everybody, everything is, we're all consuming each other. We're all food at one point as we're just keeping this ecosystem running. So that, that's how I view um, fungi in terms of their role in this larger organism. And, and I, it's just like I don't see it as, you know, some people view nature and view life as a, as a fight. And there's always this sort of fighting reference to how things are going, mm. moving forward. I reject that categorically. I believe we're all cooperating. We may be com competing at times. We may end up at times in a struggle. Like I may go out walking in the woods someday and, and end up with a cougar uh, 10 feet from me. And all of a sudden I'm in a life and death struggle. Okay, that's part of it too. But we're all just trying to get along, so to speak. And part of that is I'm going to eat you and you're going to eat me. And we're all ultimately going to end up feeding this large organism. Mm, I love that. I love I love that holistic view that there's, you know, that all, all the nodes are there, all the nodes are necessary. Um, and they're sh and they're sharing, I guess, you know, the nutrients, but also in I guess you could say that the nutrients, especially from a shamanic point of view, the nutrients are what we call intelligence, right, or the chemical compounds or the the, the signals that 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 occur between molecules is, is some form of of consciousness or intelligence. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I mean, and I think I think it is a, a intelligent organism out there. This what, what whatever we want to call it, whether we want to call it Gaia or, or something of that sort. But I totally believe in it. And when I'm out in the woods, I mean, I feel a part of something, not something separate from anything. Sure, we can use separation to to use language and the way we relate to certain things. But there are times when we have to let that go, drop that and not be out there thinking as a separate organism. We have to, to just empty our mind of that and walk through the the amazing beauty of it all. Mm -hmm. So I want I want to come back to that point and talk about an experience I had with a mushroom that helped me see that. But I I, I don't want to go there yet. Um, I would I would love to hear about you know mushrooms as medicine. Sure, sure. Well, well, you know, it's really interesting because when I started my company in 1989, uh, literally I was walking around the Natural Foods Expo in Los Angeles with a reishi mushroom in my hand. And I was speaking to company representatives of all of these different herbal companies who were putting out green plants as supplements, whether it was echinacea or ginseng or ginkgo or something like that. And, and none of them had a mushroom in their uh, um, supplement line. And they just looked at this ratio I had in my hand and they thought, wow, what is that? It's like a piece of wood. They couldn't believe that that was actually 
a supplement. I said, look, they've been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years, along with all these other plants. But it took years and years and years to convince them that there were benefits there. I mean, wrote books, articles, did everything I could to educate people during that period. So the fact is, is that mushrooms have been used for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine. And they actually have a book that that is has got 270 different species of mushrooms listed as medicinal. Well, how do you sort through that? <laughs> what, what do you, well, um, what what I've done is is um, first of all, I'll look at traditional use. Then I'll go, OK, what's the scientific world have to say? Lots of scientific work in Japan and China and Asia, Russia on mushrooms and which ones have certain medicinal properties. And and after doing that, I, I could see that there was about 10 or 12 very specific species that had been used traditionally and were supported by science. And, and one of the primary benefits to all of these is the immunological properties. They will enhance our immunity and they will also create a homeostasis. So I, I look at mushrooms really as prevention. There's something that we should be uh, um, consuming regularly. Think of them as, as something that's going to help us stay healthy because they have these beta-glucans in them that will activate receptor sites that we have and will produce immune cells. And, and that's kind of uh, they're in the background working. They're trying to uh, keep us in balance when necessary the immune cells are stimulated. They help to keep us healthy. And so that's really what I would say in terms of the medicinal use of mushrooms. That's the primary way that we should be looking at them. We should be looking at them as a prevention and something that will just help us cope and help us stay in balance. And, and Howard, you, you know what we're really trying to do here is we're just trying to maintain a balance. And, and we, when we get sick, we are essentially out of balance. So that's really what uh, um, where mushrooms can play a role. Hmm. I'm curious about you walking around the uh, Natural Foods Expo in the, it was in the late 80s with this reishi and it being sort of misunderstood or rejected. I'm wondering, is there, is there do you think there's some sort of cultural bias against mushrooms because you know we had ginseng at that point uh turmeric was hot i wonder is, is there is there something about mushrooms like in our psychology or or the, the mythology of our culture that makes us scared of them well you know, you know what i mean i mean they've certainly a lot of people have talked about what's called mycophobia which is a fear of mushrooms and and you know it's kind of interesting because you know, let's face it, in, in North America, we were full of immigrant groups, a lot of them from Europe, and they all had these traditions of, of eating mushrooms. Um, in Asia, there are probably at least a dozen different species of mushrooms in the marketplace, and, and hunting wild mushrooms is a long-standing tradition, the same in, in, in Europe. In fact, it's interesting because in, in uh, the 18th uh, or late 1700s, in the UK, they used to call mushrooms um, poor man's meat. Mm. <laughs> and the reason, of course, was because you could, you could, you could find this very meaty, solid, uh, weighty 
mushroom that would provide you food. So, so poor man's meat. But for some reason, when, when all of these different groups came to North America, um, there was kind of other than certain communities that, that remembered mushrooms, there was a bit of a, a fear going on. And, you know, Howard, mushrooms can kill people. So, so, and, and every year people die from eating the wrong mushrooms because they go out hunting mushrooms. And, and strangely enough, a lot of those people are the immigrants that come into the United States and they go, you know what, when I was living back in my old country, we used to go out and eat mushrooms and, and they'd go out hunting mushrooms, they'd see these mushrooms and say, oh yeah, that, that's just like the one we used to eat. They, they ate it. Next thing you know, boom. They're done, and that that happens every year. So there's a legitimate fear for mushrooms, but you know the whole reason why we haven't accepted more mushrooms into our diet. That's one of those things where you know it's hard to actually pin down exactly why that exists. But we're getting over it. We are getting over, it. and a lot of it is the fact that you know we're getting much closer to Asia. And here's here's an interesting fact for you is that China produces 85 percent of the world's mushrooms. Can you imagine that 85 percent? And and I've traveled extensively in China. And let me tell you, every meal that we're at in China, there is at least a, a mushroom dish a single mushroom dish, and there are mushrooms in a lot of the dishes that we eat when we're in China. So that that fungi are just part of the diet in Asia, a major part of it, in fact. Mm. So before before we get back to the medicinal, I'm just I'm just curious about whether there are quality standards that you'd recommend we adhere to when just choosing like supermarket mushrooms. Do they have to be organic? Is it a is it a food that is very sensitive? Is is heavily um, you know, pesticide treated or they like what, what, what would you recommend to someone if they're, you know, planning on increasing their their um, food mushroom uh, intake? Well, well, you know what? When I was growing, you know, and again, it was 10 years on this very large commercial mushroom farm. And, and there's actually a program of chemical use that they followed. And so there was fungicides, pesticides, you name it, that went on to this crop because it's an indoor crop. It's a 90-day cycle. It's very easy for a pest to get in early and devastate the crop. I believe today that the agaricus growers are using much fewer uh, chemicals. And so I don't think, um, and I'm sure, you know, they have to go through a lot of tests too. I mean, pesticide wise and so on, like any of the foods out there. But I am, I am in fact a, a, um, strong supporter of, uh, organically produced produce certified organic. My company has been certified organic since 1992. I believe in it. Totally believe it. In fact, you know, I, I, um, my company grows and processes all of our mushrooms in China. In, in, um, 1997, I took OCIA, which is one of the larger certification organizations in the U S to China with me. And, and we did the very first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China 
1997. So we introduced that ethic to the Chinese, to Chinese mushroom farmers. There was 24 mushroom growers in that seminar. And today there are, there are hundreds and hundreds, thousands probably of mushroom producers in China that grow it organically. And I'm not talking about uh, growers where, you know, you've got a Chinese certifier coming in and you pay them off and they certify you. No, no, we've got, we've got high quality German certifiers. We can't sell any of our products unless they have passed pesticide tests, heavy metals tests. And in terms of when you go to the market, if, if it's a small grower, for example, at a farmer's market or something that's bringing in shiitake and maitake and things like that, I wouldn't worry at all about any chemicals whatsoever. And, and, and you can always ask them, of course, but for the most part, they wouldn't be using any chemicals. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, certified organic agaricus out there on the market. So, so I would look for that first, certainly, and, and, and would gravitate to that just like I, I buy uh, organic vegetables and fruits. I mean, I've got a small little market here that brings those in, and that's what I purchase. Okay, gotcha. All right. So um, in terms of mushrooms being medicinal, uh, what's the science? Are there, you know, this is, so we have a, uh, a long tr traditional Chinese medicine uh, tradition. We have other, lots of other native communities, traditional communities. So we have, we have a basis to, to, to think that these are, are, are useful, safe and effective. Um, what has anyone, what sort of, you know, double blind scientific, you know, gold standard trials have been done? What do we know that, uh, you know, a hard nosed skeptical scientist would have to agree with after you rub their nose in the research? <laughs> well, you know, there is a lot of science out there. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that, look, in terms of herbal medicine, there's not a lot of clinical trials. The Chinese have done, uh, and, and even the Japanese have done clinical trials with mushrooms. They've done clinical trials with the shiitake, um, maitake, some of the other mushrooms. But clinical trials, I mean, you know, in the West, a clinical trial is expensive. Very few herbal companies have the funds to do clinical trials and and of course they spend the money and then all of the other their competitors use the same study that they've just paid for so nobody wants to do clinical trials and that's true of almost all herbs you, you see the odd clinical trial double-blinded come up and and that's great but you know you know what I, I look at it as as we've got a tremendous amount of science um, that is in vitro in vivo demonstrates that there are these activities. There's actually been a couple of uh, drugs in uh, Japan and China made from the turkey tail that that in fact have a lot of clinical trials behind them. Um, so so we do have actual products made from drug products made from mushrooms, uh, lentinin from shiitake. PSK and PSP from uh, Turkey Tail. Uh, there's a few others. So, so really, when it comes to effectiveness and safety, I think I think it's fairly um, well established by science. But yeah, but y you know, you know how I, I look at it as as um, these are products that are foods. They they are products where I, I think. The benefits are there as a food and and as a medicine. 
Um, one of the one of the largest killers of people today are are pharmaceuticals, <laughs> who've been through who've been through a lot of clinical trials. <laughs> so so you know, take your choice: um, a natural product or or something that's called a drug that might kill you. Gotcha. So so if people are interested in taking mushrooms medicinally, what are their options? They can you know if they if they have a local grower of something. Uh, or, or, you know, do they get it in pill or powder form? I'm sure you can go on Amazon and type in, you know, medicinal mushrooms and find hundreds of companies. And I, I know uh -huh. that, I know that one of your your missions is to explain to people the difference between crap products and, and real products. Is it ever? It's a minefield. I mean, anybody who's bought supplements knows that it's difficult to to sort out the good products from the bad. I mean, it's not like buying vitamin C where you figure, okay, most of the brands are all the same. And, and so just to kind of start that off, a mushroom has three different plant parts. It's got a spore. They don't have seeds. Mushrooms grow from spores in, in the wild. There's mycelium. And then there's the mushroom itself. Uh, a spore will germinate into a fine filament. That fine filament will come together with other spore germinations to form a network. That network is called mycelium. We normally don't see mycelium because it's under the ground. It is it is maybe in a piece of wood. That so, is the, So is that like the the, the white uh, the white threads when I turn the compost yes, it's, pile? Yes, it's thread-like uh, white growth and and it some people would look at it and say oh gee, that looks like a mold or something, but that is the actual body of this fungus. That's the vegetative growth. That is what's decomposing everything out there in nature. Again, it's embedded in its food source. So oftentimes we may not see it, but if you pick a mushroom and if you look at the, the dirt underneath it, you will probably see this white mycelium. That white mycelium uh, gathers nutrients together and then in the fall here, when the temperatures go down, it rains a lot, that mycelial body, that vegetative body will produce a mushroom. The mushroom will come up, it will mature, it will drop spores, and now we've got a, a complete life cycle here. Well, when you go to buy a mushroom supplement, a lot of products on the market are made with mycelium, but the problem is, is they grow this mycelium on grain, and then at the end of the grow-out process, they will harvest it and dry it and grind it to a powder and they do not remove the grain from it so you end up getting mostly grain powder with some mycelium in it and and the way that we've determined this is I did a study in 2015 where I went out on the internet I bought 40 different of these different brands of these myceliated grain products I I had dried mushrooms we tested them all for beta-glucans, and what are called alpha-glucans, which are starches. Mushrooms do not have starch. So in terms of the alpha-glucan, very, very low. Um, uh, mushrooms actually, this is where they're kind of like humans, they have glycogen as their storage carbohydrate. Huh. They do not have starch. So so if you have, if you have starch in one of these products, you know you've got one, uh, grain. So what we found out was that these products that were mycelium, Actually, and they'll call it, okay, well, yeah, we're selling mycelium. If you're lucky, they'll say that. Uh, but 
the amount of mycelium is very small because the beta-glucan content was very, very small. The beta-glucan content was on average about 5%. A mushroom has 25 to 60% beta-glucan. That's what we're looking for. That's what in the, what's in the mushrooms. It's in the cell walls. So, and then when we tested the mushrooms for the alpha-glucan, it was less than 5%, and that was due to the glycogen. So it was exactly the opposite. So if you're going in looking for a, a mushroom product, there's a high chance that you might get one of these myceliated grain products. And how, how are you, do you know, have you heard of a product called tempeh? Yes. So you know what tempeh is. Do you, do you know what actually how tempeh is produced? Oh, it's, for, it's fermented soybeans. Okay. What, what's doing the fermentation? Um, I never, okay. I never thought about it. <laughs> I've got you there. And every, everybody is, is kind of, they're aware of that. It's fermented soybeans. Well, it's being fermented by a fungus. And, and the white that you see on those cooked soybeans is mycelium. So, okay. so they actually grow fungal mycelium on cooked soybeans. And it's a food. It's a good food. That's what these growers in the United States are doing. And then they will slice it up, dry it, grind it to a powder, and sell it as mushroom. It's not mushroom. Uh, if you were to dry out that tempeh, you would see that that mycelium, would, which is about 90% water, would shrink right down to almost nothing, and you'd be left with a lot of soybeans there. Mm. So if they're so, if they're growing this mycelium on on like rice, yes, then they're grinding up. You know, rice is pretty che white rice is pretty cheap. So so it's yeah. like ninety nine point nine percent like mycelium flavored rice. It's it's mycelium flavored rice, and the mycelium is a small part of it. Just like when you buy that tempeh and you slice it up, well, you can see all the soybeans in there, and and you see the white mycelium which is the fungus that's growing over it. That's what they're doing. And unfortunately, most of the people selling these products, when you look at the label, it says shiitake mushroom, reishi mushroom, and it'll have a picture of a mushroom. There is no mushroom in these products. It is, it is myceliated grain and mostly starch. And that is so unfortunate. And people have to be very vigilant if they're going to buy one of these so-called mushroom supplements. Wow. So it'd be like if I said I wrote a book and then I just sent people a dictionary and said the words are all in there. <laughs> well, I consider it a, a complete bait and switch because they're, they're calling it a mushroom product. It doesn't have mushroom in it. It's got mycelium, fungal mycelium that's grown on a sterilized grain. It's all done in a laboratory. It's not grown under natural conditions with natural substrates. That most medicinal mushrooms grow on wood, and, and the wood actually has the precursors for that mushroom to create its compounds, its medicinal compounds. So if you taste these products, dump out the capsule or something, taste them, they taste very much like flour because they're mostly just these starchy carbohydrates from the grain. Hmm. And that's not what you've actually wanted to purchase. You want to pur purchase a medicinal mushroom. 
and that's what has been used traditionally, and that's what has the the medicinal compounds. It's the mushroom. Pure mycelium will have some beta-glucans in the cell walls, but it does not have the medicinal compounds, the same amount of medicinal compounds that you find in the mushroom. The mushroom is actually the true biofactory for manufacturing these compounds. So what's, what, is the, what do the medicinal compounds do for the mushroom? So obviously the mycelium don't need it. Why, why, if, if, you're, if, you're, if I was you know, going like, to think like a mushroom, why, why would I go to the evolutionary trouble of producing this stuff? You know what? I, I love that whole idea because, because you know what? We could speculate endlessly on that idea. For example, there are people out there that will say, you know, the, the reason that, that uh, berry is, uh, is red is because it is trying to attract something to eat it and then spread the seed. And then there's other people that will say, well, yeah, the reason that berry is bitter is that so nobody will eat it and it will be able to continue to grow and drop. And so it's like it's pure speculation. I mean, as humans, we always we always ask the question of why. Why does it have this? Why does it have that? I, I really don't know. And I don't think we'll ever know because, you know, OK, oh, it secretes this compound and that that will um protect it from this or that, or, oh, it secretes this sugar, which will make something eat it and spread it. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a, um, some people have called that teleological thinking, which, which means we're constantly trying to find a reason for everything. And I think it's a trap. I think it's an absolute trap. Why? We can speculate. And maybe in certain cases we can say, okay, yeah, but we don't really know. And, and why, why would one mushroom, for example, produce psilocybin and, and give us this amazing experience and some other mushroom not and, and just be a, a simple food or some other mushroom produce a deadly toxin? Why? Well, I don't really think you can say why. Uh, you know, for some reason... As it went down that uh, evolutionary pathway, which is very interesting, for some reason, certain of these fungi, certain of these mushrooms produce these compounds. Why? <laughs> Who knows? All right. Well, and of course, then if you go back to the, the shamanic perspective, you know, to, to a to a tribe, they will tell you that the plants themselves told them how to be used. Yes, indeed. And, and you know what? I, I, I think there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. These are stories that explain certain things, just like we all have origin mythologies that explain certain things. And, and those are all very good for how any sort of tribe will understand the world around it and how it will treat certain things. And, and you know, it's just like um, if there's a plant out there that has these qualities that take one to another world, so to speak, this plant is going to be spoken of in a very different way than just a plant that you're out there uh, um, growing and consuming as a food. It's going to be in a very different category. So there's definitely those types of explanations or narratives that we will create as humans to help us 
understand the world that we live in. Mm. Okay. Um, so getting back to uh, medicinals for a little bit longer, how do you grow medicinal mushrooms and how can how can we know? I guess you you know you have a company. You can tell us the name of the company and where we can find it. But in you know rather than just turning this into an advertisement for your company, what in general what are the principles that we're looking for um, in a in a medicinal mushroom grower? Because there's some there's some brands that have become well known and um, well I, and look I, I no I'm not here to sell products absolutely not I'm here to educate and and you know what brands uh, it, it's a funny thing with brands because you know sometimes the person or the um, the um, well, well, let's just say it becomes a celebrity, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, celebrities are out there to sell things, whether it's good or not. Some celebrities become cult-like figures, and, and, and they have people, and you can tell them something about whatever product it is that celebrity is selling, and, and they won't believe you. They they don't want to hear it because they worship this person. It's a cult leader, right. so. Uh, so, you know, um, the way we produce our mushrooms is, is and the way I like to, to call it is we produce our mushrooms in a very natural way. First of all, we grow them on the materials that they grow naturally on. And, and it's interesting because most medicinal mushrooms actually grow on wood. So they are wood decomposers. So there's something about the compounds in the wood that have the precursors for these particular mushrooms, whether it be uh, shiitake, maitake, reishi, chaga, these are all mushrooms that grow on wood. So, so these mushrooms will grow, we will grow them either on a wood log or we will grow them on sawdust. And, and then when we grow them, they will grow in a very, very natural environment. You know, you know the interesting part about, about growing our mushrooms in China is that they are totally into appropriate technologies. So, so over here in, in North America, they'll grow mushrooms in large concrete warehouse rooms, and they will have climate control over everything. So there will be there will be air conditioners and heaters and all of this uh, humidifiers to keep everything perfect. In China, that's not how it's done. They will grow them in shade houses. They will put all of these small little sawdust logs onto shelves, and they will do it when the temperature and the humidity is right for that particular mushroom. And, and normally that would be in the, in the fall over there. Uh, humidity's high. Temperature's just about right. In fact, they, they stage the way the mushrooms are growing. We, we were just over there in... Um, September, that was the reishi harvest. And the reason is that reishi loves hot temperatures. We were out on the reishi farms. Ah, oh, my God, Howard, it was hot. It was like 80 degrees, 85 degrees. And, and it was like, even though these were shade houses and underneath the shade houses, they would have greenhouses and they'd have all these reishi growing naturally. If I wanted to see shiitake or Maitake or lion's mane or tremella, I would be over there in November. The temperature is cooler. These mushrooms need cooler temperatures. But again, they're not growing in climate-controlled warehouses or anything like that. 
very natural growing environment. Wow. So I'm, I'm comparing it to my to my garden. So now, you know, it's uh, January, I'm getting the seed catalogs. So I'm going through and I'm seeing, you know, 70 new varieties of green beans and 50 new cucumbers. And here's a tomato that can withstand the, the hot sun and the uh, unpredictable rains. Are mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms, um, you know, are, are they selected by humans or like, do we have the same ability to uh, to create new ones to our liking or, or are we just sort of, you know, we got what we got? No, no, they're absolutely there. Been, there's been a lot of strange selection that goes on. For example, you could have 10 different reishi cultures from different parts of <clears throat> any continent and each one would be a little different. And, and so what happens is that these different what we would call strains are collected, they're cultured. And you can actually you can actually get a culture of a mushroom just by taking a piece of tissue and putting it in a sterile Petri plate. That tissue will grow out into mycelium on that Petri plate. You will have an exact clone of that mushroom uh, right there. Now, what happens is then you will put it on your growing medium and you will test it primarily for yield because a lot of these mushrooms you can you can clone them but then when you try to grow them you'll get a very low yield or, or they, they just don't like what you're feeding them so there's been a, a hundreds of years of strain selection to find cultivars that are are high yielding and also you can also um, like like with with uh, agaricus, you, you've seen uh, I think what they call a a cremini. Mm -hmm. A cremini is basically a brown agaricus rather than a white one. Well, with agaricus, they've been able to to create different strains that will produce uh, a white mushroom. A white mushroom actually came up in an agaricus bed because the the original agaricus is a cremini. It's a brown capped agaricus. But a white, a white agaricus actually came up in a mushroom grower's bed in Pennsylvania back in the 20s. And it was like, oh, my God, they grabbed it, they cloned it. And from that, they developed white uh, agaricus. And so they have whites, they have creams, they have off-whites, they have brown-colored agaricus. And all of them have been selective, selected for various attributes within a certain range of characteristics but the major one for anybody growing anything of course is the yield how, how many apples am i going to get off that tree oh only a couple ah so much for that cultivar <laughs> i'm going for another one right it's that's really the most important thing is is when we bring it into cultivation it actually is a good producer wow so so the white mushroom this 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 ubiquitous thing is less than 100 years old that's right. Wow. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And and just think about that. It must have been unbelievable to be looking down at your your I mean, and you, you get into an agaricus house and it's just a sea of mushrooms. And, and you're looking down your bed and you're like, oh, my goodness, here's this one mushroom. It's white. <laughs> I think it's just kind of hilarious, actually. Wow. Okay. So if someone is thinking about, you know, improving their health and they're going to add mushrooms as foods and they're also looking at uh, medicinal mushrooms. So you, you sell what capsules or pills? 
Uh, well, my company, Namex, is a supplier of raw materials. So we sell bulk mushroom powder to other companies who put it out in capsules, bottles, put their label on it. We also have a one department that is sells the product on the internet, and that is called Real Mushrooms, and and that sells uh, ca- uh, either bottles with capsules or pouches with the powder. And we put that out there because a lot of our customers will take our mushroom powders and they might blend it mm-hmm. with other mm-hmm. herbs and so on. So we, you know, we always get uh, phone calls from people going, "Where can I get your products?" And it's like, well, um, you can buy them from this this company or that company. But at the same time, a lot of those companies were not putting out the hundred percent mushroom extract that we sold. So we put out uh, some on the and sell it on the internet under the Real Mushrooms brand. Okay, great. And how would somebody know of all the different things that they could buy? What is right for them? You know, so if we're thinking about it as a, as a medicine, I wouldn't just go and say, "Hey, well, I'll take some metformin and maybe a little Cialis," and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't just sort of like mix and match like at the candy store. Uh, but if this is more preventive, are there are there sort of guidelines for different? you know, sexes, stages of life, conditions, uh, temperaments that you would say, you know, you might be more, uh, you know, benefit more from this one than that one. Well, you know what, the, the um, that's something, first of all, I'd say is much better determined by a person's uh, healthcare provider, whether it's a clinical herbalist or a naturopath or something like that. If a person has just general malaise and lack of energy and maybe they feel like they're getting sick too often and they they're looking for one particular mushroom i would highly recommend reishi reishi is i think the premier medicinal mushroom it's got it's got the beta glucans in it but also has compounds called triterpenoids which are also very good immunological as well as helping the liver do its job so so i would say i would say reishi and then you know one thing i I would tell people to avoid is is um there are products out there and they they they're like oh, we've got 10 different species in our product or or we've got 16 somebody somebody actually put out a product with 24 different species those are the worst products there are and the reason is is that every time they add another species they're most likely diluting the species that are very powerful and can really help you hmm. so so you know, the, I would say that the most of anything, if you if maybe if there's five mushrooms you could put together and, and that would be good. But beyond that, it is just simply lowering the value of the product. And if you get up over 10, just forget it, because that's not going to do you any good at all, because each one of those together is not going to have a synergy. It's in fact going to be a lot of them will just be species that are very low in medicinal qualities. Hmm. So it's like when I used to buy baseball cards. Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I used to buy baseball cards, too. I wish I had my old uh, my old uh, uh, collection from the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> right. You guys, you, you're going for your rookie, your uh, Mickey Mantle rookie card, but you got a whole bunch. You got a whole bunch of, uh, of other ones uh, that are that's cheap right. and synergistic. That's absolutely right. I actually had one set one year where I was ma- missing only one. I think it was Harmon Killebrew that I was missing. But at any rate, it's like then then, of course, we moved and uh, I, I moved into my teenage years and, and I forgot my baseball card collection. And I don't know where it is, but uh, 
Hopefully somebody's got it. Uh, okay. <laughs> and hopefully they, they, they added Harmon to it. That's right. <laughs> um, so what do you think about the medicinal mushrooms that are that are included in things like coffees and teas? And, uh, you know, I, I see it. Uh, the checkout lane at Whole Foods. There's there's a company's now selling, uh, you know, medicinal mushrooms. It's, it's a long way from the 1970s and 80s when you could walk around and no one knew what you were doing. Um, now we have you know, other 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 problems that we're, we're you know, that's too popular and too many claims. Um, any thoughts about those sort of combination products? Well, you know what? Um, I guess what I would say is that, you know, there's there's a lot of different products out there where they will add other things to make it taste better or or they'll put a little bit in and what we in the industry call pixie dusting. They'll call it reishi this, reishi that, when maybe it's got just a tiny little amount of whatever it is in there. Mm. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of very innovative companies out there selling different things. Mushrooms right now are the flavor of the month. <laughs> you see mushrooms, so many articles written about mushrooms now, and, and that's fine. I, I'm happy because I'm glad that they're getting a little more press. They're calling it the latest superfood and things like that. Look, I think mushrooms are really great. I think they're very beneficial whether you eat them as a food or as a supplement. I really dislike it when companies, especially on the Internet, are out there touting them as they, there's nothing they can't do. Chaga is the worst one for that. There's companies selling chaga, and it's just like, is there anything that they won't do? They, they list 100 different things that it can do, and it's a, it's a panacea and things like that. That is just, for me, the worst possible scenario when I see that kind of talk and those kind of sales pitches. And, and you know, some of these products, again, I just think you have to look at them and, and hopefully they will tell you, you know, the ingredient list will tell you how much of the mushroom is in the particular product. And, and But it's not easy because... Um, maybe they don't, and then you, you don't really know whether it is actual real mushroom or whether it's just this this myceliated grain, and therefore you're buying mostly starch. Um, I, you know, so I, I personally think if you're looking for a mushroom supplement, um, look for a supplement that is definitely 100% mushroom um, and, and grown without chemicals. Um, and, but that to me is, is really the best way to supplement some of these other things. Okay. If you want to do a tea and things like that, I guess if the, the price is right, good, go ahead. And, and, uh, as long as it's actually got real mushroom in it and not just some flavored myceliated grain or something like that, gotcha. it's not easy, not easy, Howard. It really isn't my God. I mean, let's face it. You go into any market, we have too many choices there. And most of those choices are, are not worth consuming. Right. Well, I mean, I've I've heard that um, that certain types of mushrooms are kind of stupid easy to grow yourself. Um, I um, I guess I see every so often I'll see like a shiitake, uh, you know, kit. Uh, are there mushrooms that anyone with uh, you know a five gallon bucket or space in the basement or a little bit of woods can can grow themselves? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting because that just brought up to mind. The whole concept of, you know, I've got nothing going on in my basement. I should grow mushrooms down there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I wrote a book about growing mushrooms in 1983, again, called The Mushroom Cultivator, Practical Guide to Growing Mushrooms at Home. Oh. <laughs> um, 
Growing mushrooms is not easy. <laughs> Literally isn't. But if you want to, the best way to do it is you can buy a bag of mushroom spawn. And mushroom spawn is essentially um, mushroom mycelium grown on grain. <laughs> That's what's so interesting. Uh, or sawdust or something, which then you can plant <clears throat> into materials, sometimes materials that you don't have to do a lot with. Um, oyster mushroom, fairly easy. You can grow that on straw. So you can grow mushrooms if you buy a kit. Well, you know, that's probably those are probably the most expensive mushrooms you'll ever buy. Yeah. But it can be fun. I, I I have nothing against kits. It's a fun thing. It's a nice gift for people and, and uh can't not too much can go wrong with the kit unless you put it out in the hot sun and it just basically dries out <laughs> into nothing. Uh mushrooms need moisture, so the humidity is always the big issue with growing mushrooms. But no, it's not easy, but it's fun if you want to get into it. It's fun to work with fungi and growing mushrooms. I, I recommend it to people if they've got any inclination to that. I mean, I've enjoyed it all my life and, and, and uh, very different than a green plant. Gotcha. Is, is your book still in print? It is. Actually, it's amazing. That, that book published in 1983, we still sell 5,000 copies a year. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's just been going. It it people still love it because it's still got a lot of practical information in there. So so it just keeps selling. Cool. That that, that takes care of your cable bill. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, more than that. But it's like yeah, that, because we are we are the uh, publisher as well. Oh, okay. So we own full rights that nobody else gets a cut except the printer. Who, who, who prints it for us? But otherwise, okay. no. Well, then now we're in mortgage territory. Depending. Hey, that's right. That's right. That it is paying for my mortgage. <laughs> nice. I should go back in time and write a book in 1983 that will have relevance 35 years later. I know. Where's that time machine, Howard? I'd like it too. Well, I hear I hear Chaga allows you to go back in time. I think I that's that. right. That is actually. <laughs> I read that on the internet. All right. So b before we go, I do want to talk about um, psychedelic use. Of, of mushrooms, because I mentioned earlier that I uh, you, you had talked about going out into the woods and and feeling one with everything. Yeah. Um, so hypothetically, had, had I, you know, taken a th two, two and a half grams of um, of a psilocybin mushroom um, and I walked out in my yard, you know, I kind of felt the same thing, like yeah. um, like the self just didn't seem like that important. Right. What, what can you tell us about, uh, you know, the, the use and the benefits of, of psychedelic mushrooms? Well, I think at some point it's a it, well, it's certainly an experience that a lot of people could get benefit from. You, you have to know yourself uh, before you do it. You don't want to be in the, the wrong state of mind. <clears throat> you don't want to do it um, in the wrong place. Um, if somebody really wanted to do that, the best thing they could do is find friends or, you know, do it with friends, do it in a safe space, have somebody around that's, that's going to, um, answer the phone and answer the door and you're not going to be bothered by anything, mm. uh, or, or go out in nature. A lot of people love to go out in nature and do it. And I think it can provide a, a fantastic experience for people. And a lot of that is, it just, uh, opens up a new world and certainly you, you gain, a feeling of uh, sameness with everything out there. And, and this is also kind of expressed as a oneness with the, 
the earth, a oneness with all the other organisms. And, and we need that. We absolutely need that because one of our biggest problems right now is, is humans have separated themselves from nature. And, and, and uh, this is something I really worry about because especially as we become more urbanized and we're becoming more urbanized every year and people are in these artificial environments. I mean, people, people actually uh, now take tours out to farms to see how food is grown. Mm. It's just bizarre. And, and we, we need to maintain our, our contact and our relationship to nature because we're just destroying it in left, right and center. And we, we can't do that and still survive. And, you know, I, I mean, the idea that people are all so excited about, oh, yeah, we're going to go to Mars or a moon colony or stuff like that. It's like, are, are you nuts? I mean, we live in a paradise. We right. absolutely live in a paradise. And and that's one of the things I I think that something like the mushroom can help you realize is this is a paradise. We have to protect it. We have to know and feel that we're all part of this same organism and we have to do everything to nurture it. And and that's the, really the the big lesson from taking something like these mushrooms. And the other thing I would say too is is look, some people want to travel to South America or something like that. Oh, I'm going to go to South America and I'm going to take ayahuasca with a shaman and all this. Just stop it really. You know, you don't have to go to South America. It's right in your backyard. Find it here. Do it with friends in a in a a, a very warm healing environment, and and that's really the best way for people to get that experience for themselves. And and again, if if somebody's ready for it, I highly recommend it. And and I, I really feel like that is the basis for us as humans to truly become a part of our environment and, and understand our place in it all. We're not separate from it. We're part of it. Let's, let's, let's nurture that. Right. And, and we do have to, we do have to add that uh, currently uh, psilocybin containing mushrooms are uh, was a class one. Uh, Unbelievable. Well, so, so is, uh, so is marijuana too, but it is changing. And actually this year in Oregon, they've got a initiative that they're putting forth where, where they're um, trying to legalize psilocybin mushrooms. And I don't know the exact uh, what they're doing, but that's what they're putting forward. Maybe, just maybe we're on the path. And, and again, I, I think it should be used properly. Uh, I'm, it doesn't have to be re used religiously, but used properly in the right setting with the right mindset. And, and that's really important. Don't look at it. I mean, all these things are used recreationally at times, but if you really want to have the proper experience, do it in the right space and with the right frame of mind and you will you will change it may change your life for the better right and and i have to say there's no there's no way to describe the insights you can read all the huxley you want you can listen to all the terence mckenna lectures on the internet but the experience itself is not one that anyone who's come out of it has said i can put this in words for you Absolutely right. No, you, you cannot describe it because it is a feeling. It is something much bigger than words. And that's that's basically it. I mean, language is a 
human construct, but this just goes so far beyond that. I mean, this is just the 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 awe and the wow, and that's how you describe it. Right, and also, and there's um, I guess Michael Pollan has just come out with a book um, that talks about sort of uh, the cutting edge of using um, hallucinogens, including psilocybin mushrooms, um, in for depression, for anxiety, for PTSD, for for people facing uh, addiction, addiction, um, you know, for um, life changing medical diagnoses. So. Uh, Hopefully it's at at some point, you know, it's been it's been a long time that this stuff has been um, scary and uh, and feared by our society. Hopefully things will will open up and we will um, get to experience the full range of its gifts. I I totally agree. And and I I hope so. And I I think it's wonderful that Michael Pollan has written that book. Uh, More and more people are starting to speak out, which is which is good. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't really understand that, that, you know, my generation, when we were, whether it be smoking pot or taking mushrooms, it was all illegal and people got arrested and they got put in jail. And, and uh, it's just like the, the inquisitions out there for, for various of these natural substances. It was like the witch hunts and all of that. I mean, a lot of the, the whole witch burning back in Europe was uh, uh, healers, uh, women healers that were utilizing plants and and these types of things so so no i'm 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 really hopeful that that period will be over and we can move into something that's a little more positive and rational and and educate people to how they can utilize these in a positive way right i think if if they had put um you know psilocybin in the water supply instead of fluoride we things might look very different now <laughs> absolutely they'd be very colorful <laughs> all right so jeff how, how can people uh find you and find out more about your company and where they can source your your mushroom products well the company is namex n-a-m-m-e-x and you can find us at namex.com i've got a lot of deep educational material there lots of great photos of medicinal mushrooms so please come to the site and then if you're interested in our products as a consumer you can go to realmushrooms.com and that's where we've got our our actual retail products so you can get them there try them out see what you think about them but uh yeah please come to namics.com and, and uh, again like i said we've got lots of great information i've got slideshows there that show how we grow mushrooms uh differences uh and talk about all these other different products and why you need to avoid them so so yeah, please come visit us, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll like the material that we have there. Awesome. Well, this has been a a wonderful tour into into the world of of uh, edible fungi and medicinal fungi. So Jeff, thank you so much for for the advocacy and for thirty plus years of uh, of study and and hard work, and for taking the time today. Hey, it's been my pleasure, Howard. It's been really great to talk with you. I've really enjoyed your energy here, and and uh, I hope your viewers uh, enjoy it as well. All right. Thanks again. I'm going to go get, get me some reishi, and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Very good. See you later. Bye-bye. All right. That was a fascinating dive, for me at least, into the world of mushrooms and mycology and fungi, an entire kingdom that's just so weird. It's, it looks like plants, but it's not plants. It's somewhere between plants and us. And we were fortunate to have one of the foremost experts, Jeff Chilton, to guide us on our way. 
So I want to pause for a moment here and steal a line that I really, really like from The Guardian newspaper. So The Guardian is one of those newspapers online that doesn't have a paywall. So it's free for everyone. And the line that I love is uh, after I read an article, they had a pitch that I should become a, a supporter, a patron, the same way that I ask you from time to time to become a patron of Plant Yourself. And the line was, free for those who can't afford it, supported by those who can. And I just, I just love that because it kind of makes it more into more of an obligation, which is really what I would, I would like to see from this community. Uh, I got my last Patreon payout earlier uh, this week, and it was almost 700 bucks, which is like tantalizingly close to like being actual money that I can use to pay mortgages and almost like life-changing money, like money that could really allow me to devote many more resources to, to bringing people things for free. And as you, as you know, the main model for bringing things to people for free has been advertiser support. So television in the United States is free. At least it has been for, for most of the time. And you can see the difference in television programming between you know the paid services, the streaming services, the uh, premium channels, and what gets delivered when the audience itself is the product, the eyeballs that advertisers are paying for. So if you think there's some value in me taking zero financial contributions from advertisers, from me being personally responsible and having 100% editorial authority to bring on the guests that I want to bring on, to ask them the questions that I want to ask, and to advocate for the truth without needing to worry about anybody that I might be offending or hurting their bottom line, then I would really urge you, I would invite you to, to see your uh, subscription here as a little bit of a responsibility. That is to say, if you can afford to support this show, you are going to help people who can't afford to support the show and whom I want to reach out to as listeners anyway. I don't want to turn anybody away. That's the whole point of the podcast model. So if you are able to go to patreon.com slash plant yourself, or you can just do a search, or you can go to plantyourself.com, find the Patreon link in the right sidebar and click on that and become a an ongoing supporter of this show that would give me the financial security to know that I can continue to pour resources into this, to continue to spread the word far and wide. And if you're not comfortable contributing on Patreon or, or online, you know, checks are fine too. Just email me, hj at plantyourself.com, and let me know you'd like to pay a different way, and I will do backward somersaults to help you do that. Now, you know, you can also pay me for services if you would like to be coached by me for an entire year. I don't think I'm being immodest by saying that I'm, I've become a pretty good coach by now, and I'm confident that if you have a goal that you'd like to reach, if you have behaviors that are just befuddling you, you can't understand why you keep doing them, that working together for a year, we can make tremendous progress on your behalf. If you're interested in finding out more about that program, the laser coaching program, you can go to plantyourself.com laser. And I would love to help you get traction because the feeling of traction and forward movement where in the past there's just been slippage and confusion is one of the most beautiful, empowering, grin-inspiring experiences that, uh, that you could possibly know. So again, plantyourself.com laser.
Another way you can support the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me uh, read you uh, the latest. Here it is. Great podcaster, says Tirza7316. Howard is a master listener and conversationalist when interviewing his podcast guest. I'm always delightfully surprised at how astutely he listens and then contributes to the conversation, adding that sterling quality that gives the listener more than if they had not had Howard there. Thank you, Howard, for all your hard work. If you can listen to only one or two plant-based podcasts, make this one. Wow. Thank you, Tirza. If you will it, it is no dream. I really appreciate your kind words there. So today's garden news is uh, a harvest news. I've been uh, baking a lot of things with, with the frozen blueberries that we got from our blueberry bushes last year. I went out to take a little walk and they haven't started blossoming yet, um, which is a good thing. It's not great when they have this like fake early spring and then blossom and then uh, get hit by frost again. So hopefully, uh, and especially the, the three new baby ones that we put in the ground, um, those blue babies, I'm hoping will start to, uh, to provide us with some berries this year. In running news, I am sad to say that I have dropped out of the Badwater uh, Bald Island uh, 50, Bald Head Island 50K um, that I was going to run this weekend with Josh, having been sick for three weeks and just being on the mend. Sometimes the, <laughs> the hard thing to do for me is to be smart. And uh, with the help of uh, Mia and, and Josh, I'm going to be smart and uh, pull out and wait for a better race when I'm uh, at, the, at the top of my game or at least able to walk two miles without getting winded. The other thing I want to do is not go through all of the thank yous today because I know when I do that, I take big breaths and I got to get out of breath and I don't want to get into a coughing fit. I've got a couple of new patrons that I would love to let you know about, but I haven't heard back from them on attribution or how to pronounce their names. So uh, you'll have to wait another week for that. But I do want to thank, uh, of course, Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace as the theme music for this show. I'd like to thank everyone who has been helping us fill the Wellstart Health study that's uh, open for enrollment in New Jersey, uh, New York, Ohio, Texas, Louisiana. I'm probably missing a place or two. We're getting ready to prove to the world that a life, digital lifestyle intervention can make a huge difference in people's lives with uh, type 2 diabetes. And, of course, I want to thank everyone who is a supporter of this show, everyone who has ever shared this show, everyone who's ever shared feedback with me, whether um, positive or constructive. I'll be back next week. Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, do the, uh, the list of patrons then. But until then, as always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gillis, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carol, Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, 
Alexander, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch at Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashra Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>